0: Hello, my name's Aaron Bastani. You're listening to Downstream, brought to you by Novara Media. I've spent the last several days at Labour Party conference in Brighton, and among other people, I spoke to Nina Turner, the co-chair of the 2020 Bernie Sanders campaign. We discussed a great many things from the Biden presidency to the possibility of Donald Trump rearing his head again in 2024. I hope you enjoy it. Senator Nina Turner, co-chair of the 2020 Bernie Sanders presidential campaign. Welcome to Navarra Media. Welcome to Brighton. How are you doing?
1: Thank you. I'm doing well. A little jet lag, but fantastic.
0: You must be a little bit tired coming all the way from the States and having such a fully booked itinerary.
1: A little bit, but as much as I am tired because of the time difference, I feel energized by the spirit and to be with comrades, if you will, fighting the same fight that we're fighting over in the United States.
0: On that point. In the background to all of this with with Keir Starmer, with the Labour Party, is President Biden in the United States, uh, who has a pretty big agenda on the climate, on low income, on, on wages for working Americans, a little bit on infrastructure. Has President Biden surprised you as president, given that you supported Bernie Sanders over two presidential runs himself?
1: A bit, I've been pleasantly surprised in some areas, not so much in others, but I think it is, no, I don't think, it is the progressive movement that is making the Biden administration a little more progressive than I think they ordinarily would be without the push factor that's going on in the United States.
0: And do you think that Keir Starmer could learn something from that? Do you think that Keir Starmer is going in the same direction as Joe Biden, or do you think he's sort of adopting a, a very different strategy?
1: Well, from what I hear from the folks uh, within the Labour Party who are affiliated with Tribune and the CWU, um, he's definitely said certain things and not really acted them out. Or or he said one thing when he was running and he's doing a totally different thing now that he is in the leadership position and has been very disappointing to some.
0: So, so for some people around Starmer that want him to go to sort of the political centre, they would say Joe Biden won because he reached out to wavering Republican voters. Is is that your account of why Joe Biden entered the White House?
1: No, I mean, my account from a progressive view is that coming off of President Trump, there were a lot of people who were very fatigued. And that fatigue kind of led some people to lose not just hope, but the imagination to believe that they could deserve better. They wanted normal. And so normal for some people is don't fight, let's just get somebody normal in the White House. We don't have to dream big. Yeah. People just kind of settled. That's really what they wanted. And so those were the forces. And then are big money interests, as you know, in the United States, as they, they are here in the UK, that really push for certain powers to be in control. And that is part of what happened in this race.
0: Do you think that there's a sort of resemblance then between what happened with Trump in the US? And I'm, I'm not a big fan of making these kinds of analogies, but between Trump and the US and, and Boris Johnson here, because I think, again, from a centrist perspective here, they say, well, we just need to copy a pitch to normal as Labour and we can win.
1: Yes, most definitely the similarities. I mean, we were, <laughs> I was with an Uber driver earlier today and he was making that comparison between Mr. Trump and, and, uh, and Mr. Uh, Boris.
0: Do you think that's a fair sort of comparison? In some
1: ways it is. I know that there are some slight differences, but absolutely from a global perspective, yeah, I think it is a fair comparison.
0: And what's your view on the squad? Because obviously on the left, we're on social media, they look very prominent. They look like they're making a massive impact. In terms of working Americans, the sort of political culture of the United States after Donald Trump, do you think they're doing well? Could they be doing better? Are they letting themselves down sometimes? or the lessons that we could learn from what they're doing here in the UK?
1: Overall, I'd say they're doing well. It is hard when you are going up against the status quo and things don't happen automatically. You're gonna win some, you're gonna lose some. But when you are in the non-status quo position, when you're fighting against the machine, the setbacks seem very daunting and overwhelming, and they are. There will be some on the progressive left who say that the squad is not doing enough. And I'm okay with it. I am not somebody that says you have to follow my line or believe what I believe or think what I think. There is a however to that. A lot of people who have never had to govern never had to be up against the machine, up close and personal. Sometimes from the outside, you can push harder and deeper than you can when you are on the inside trying to maneuver so that you actually get the change that is necessary. So in some circles on the progressive left, I think that the members of the squad are being judged too harshly. And that's not to say that they shouldn't be critiqued because nobody is above critique. And let me give you a a good example of why it matters who we elect. Congresswoman Cory Bush, who you know she calls me Big Sus, I love her. She loves me. So we have a personal relationship, not just a professional relationship. She was supposed to come into the Ohio 11th district, as you know, I ran for Congress this cycle, and the moratorium on evictions was about to expire. And she said, "S and I can't come." Because I need to stay here because millions of people are about to be evicted. Mm-hmm. See, it matters that she was in that space and she slept out night after night and embarrassed, particularly Democrats, because Republicans in the United States of America cannot be embarrassed at this point. But she embarrassed the Democrats so that they had to come back from vacation, no doubt, while millions of people are about to be evicted from the homes and actually act upon it. But for her courage to use protest as a mechanism, as a congresswoman to try to draw upon the emotion. And she used to be homeless. She and her children have, you know, she has slept in cars. She knows from a lived experience that got the change that we needed. Now the Supreme Court messed all of that up. But the point is this, Her activist nature and her lived experience caused a change. If Congresswoman Cori Bush was not in that space, that may not have happened. And so sometimes I think there can be a circular firing squad, if you will, by people who certainly share most of the time the same policy positions and the same ideology. The squad is growing. It definitely, I think they are doing a tremendous job. We always can do better. Everybody can always do better, but for now, I would rather have them in that space than not in that space.
0: And you suspect that there'll be more people in Congress like Cory Bush over the next several years? Yeah,
1: the will cast I mean, we already have more than we did in 2018. They yeah. are growing. You know, we have Congressman Mondaire Jones. You know, who's a member of the squad. So it, it's it's absolutely growing. And the largest caucus in the uh, Congress is the Congressional Progressive Caucus. They have a hundred members. It's the largest caucus. Now, there are degrees of progressivism, but the fact that that is the largest caucus in 2021, that would not, that was not the case 10 years ago. So we are making tremendous progress.
0: Here in the UK, the left is presented with a, a bit of a challenge in terms of growing legislators sure. of a same political, um, position because you guys have primaries in the United States. We do. And when here in the UK the Labour left tried to introduce something quite similar, mandatory selection, they were labeled as Stalinists by the British press, even by the Labour Party. As an American looking at a Labour Party which doesn't have mandatory selection, doesn't have primaries, does that seem kind of strange to you? It very much so. I mean, I- I'm chuckling to myself of learning that you guys
1: don't have a primary process and also that within a five year period is my understanding that the people in charge can call an election at any time that there's no set election cycle. But for the fact that they got to call it within uh, five years, I think that I mean, I would definitely recommend that the people of the UK consider pushing the leadership to have primaries. Primaries allow for the robust debate that is absolutely necessary to get the change and to give voters real choice. I think, the, I think you guys will benefit from that.
0: Well, the thing is Keir Starmer appears to want to go away from that because of course. of course reforms in the last week have been about concentrating power at Westminster. You're very experienced with pitching these ideas to a big audience, twice with Bernie Sanders. The idea of concentrating power, whether it's Westminster or Washington, how do you think that goes down with most voters?
1: Most voters in this moment, especially people who are the working class, and that is the majority of people, unless you are a trust fund person, you are of the working class. Now there are different levels to the working class, but you are of the working class. If you are on the lower socioeconomic rung of the working class, you are constantly in survival mode. And so you don't necessarily have the luxury to be following what's happening in Westminster or what is happening in DC. And in some cases, you may not even come out to vote. We have got to begin to touch the very people whose very livelihoods from a, do I have clean water, clean air, clean food perspective to be more engaged involved even in their frustration and even as they try to survive every single day because for those populations whether it's here over here over there in my country they are the very ones that need people like Zaria and other fighters you know need the Jerry, Jeremy Corbins of the world to actually get the power so that they can make the change and so it's meeting people where they are and also trying to convince them that it is worth the fight for them to get involved and to get engaged, to be a part of the process of changing, not just their lives and livelihoods, but the lives and livelihoods of generations yet unborn. That's very hard work to do.
0: The antagonism that that, there has been from from Keir Starmer to Jeremy Corbyn, again, there's an analog here, which is Sanders and and, um, and Joe Biden. Joe Biden clearly made a decision to not embrace Bernie Sanders, but to work constructively with him or or to, to at least collaborate with him. Keir Starmer's done something really different. Do you think that's a mistake on behalf of Keir Starmer to sort of isolate and to, to denigrate a colleague like Jeremy Corbyn?
1: Oh, most definitely. You want to expand the tent. You know, if you really, even if in some cases you may be faking it, you know, some people are not always pure of intentions, but you do want to make everybody at least feel as though they have skin in the game. And that is how you were going to have some wins like that. Senator Bernie Sanders has been one of the best allies that President Biden could have. Because Senator Bernie Sanders, just like Jeremy Bernard uh, Corbin, the Bernards, I love that part, the two Bernards. They have movements with them and behind them and beside them and in front of them. And if... People could think, people who represent the status quo could think in a different and new way. They should see that as a benefit and not as a uh, not as a negative.
0: Do you think Donald Trump could win the next election in 2024? Oh, good
1: Lord, perish the thought. But I think the same forces that allowed him entree into the White House are still there. It was neoliberalism that allowed the environment to spurn A Donald J. Trump to be president. And I do believe that if Democrats are not careful, if they don't deliver, and what I mean by delivering is pushing and adopting policies that change material conditions, absolutely, it could happen. I hope that it does not happen, but it most certainly could happen. And that would be very dangerous. Neoliberalism and neo-fascism, different sides of the same coin, but neo-fascism is more dangerous in the short term and neoliberalism is more dangerous in the long term, in my opinion, and we cannot, as the United States of America, stomach a neo-fascist. And that is exactly what Mr. Trump is. Now on the flip side of that, you can't make certain promises to the American people and Democrats have all the power and now all of a sudden you're acting like you can't deliver. That is problematic. So yes, it could happen. Do I hope to God it doesn't happen?
0: Yeah. Do you think he'll be the Republican candidate? I mean, that seems that seems quite likely at this point.
1: The Republican Party is absolutely the party of Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump. He controls that... Part. He controls the grassroots of that party, mm. and that is what makes him so dangerous. Because if you are not um, loyal enough to Donald J. Trump, there is a consequence among the faithful of the Republican Party. And the Republican Party has a decision to make. Is it going to continue to devolve into neo-fascism, or is it going to take the party back? Since we have a two-party system in the United States of America, even though I am a Democrat, I'm a hell-raising humanitarian, you know, uh, unbought and unbossed, to quote uh, Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm type of Democrat, I do want, for the sake of representative democracy, to have two parties by which people can choose from, and not one that has allowed the fringe, and I mean the absolute fringe who believe in absolutely nothing that edifies humanity. I want the American people to have a choice, but now it almost seems as though we don't have much of a choice because it has been taken over by the spirit of Donald J. Trump. And even if Mr. Trump does not run again, he will have an enormous amount of impact and control over who does actually get the nomination. It's dangerous. I mean, this man was telling people to drink bleach, you know, to to, to, to stop the COVID. I mean, he is a very dangerous man. But what is also dangerous is to have my party not deliver for people. The question becomes, is your life any different? because Democrats are in control. You know, we can't get the George Floyd Policing Act passed, as you know, and I'm sure your viewers know, George Floyd, it was a worldwide protest in the world over what happened to George, lynched in the 21st century. And there is a bill pending that will try to have federal constraints on policing practices. We were just told last week that that may not, most likely will not happen. We have a filibuster that allows for the 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 Senate to stall out that you have to have a supermajority to pass anything in the United States Senate. But in 2020, the American voter was told, vote for the Democrats and things are going to be different. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Democrats are being held hostage not only by Republicans, but also by members of the Democratic Party, too, in particular, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Senator Kristen, uh, Kristen uh, Sinema from Arizona. And I call them the shadow president and shadow vice president because they, 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 they've halted everything. Right now, President Biden is trying to push forward, as you know, a $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill that deals with hard infrastructure like roads and bridges and soft infrastructure um, like, you know, services. And those two are holding it up. There's a there's a, um, a component to that to deal with the high cost of prescription drugs in the United States of America. You got Sen- uh, Senator Sinema saying she doesn't support it because of the filibuster. Those two are given an inordinate amount of power, just as the Republicans are. So we are going to have a problem, I believe, in twenty twenty two convincing voters that change will come if the Democrats are in control.
0: So this 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 strand within the Democratic Party of not recognizing the downside of doing precisely that. How big is it, because you mentioned two senators, but would you include sort of the democratic leadership within that category? Or do you think they recognize the potential pitfalls of not keeping to their word?
1: Do they recognize it? Maybe. Do they give a damn? I'm not so sure. I want to use, go back to the story I told you about Congresswoman Cori Bush. Why would you go on holiday? When you know that millions of people are about to be evicted from their homes. Just Republicans and Democrats just cavalierly left the Capitol to go on vacation. And it was only because of one congresswoman and then others of the squad did join her. But it was her vision to say, you know, I am going to sleep out here on these steps until somebody moves. That we can't blame that on the Republicans. The Democrats left. So the question becomes: What is the difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party? They both are controlled by corporatist interests, and a lot of elected officials, especially in the on the federal level, have they don't have a lived experience, so they cannot relate to what the everyday poor American is going through. That is a problem because if you are not elected to serve the will and the needs of the people then who are you elected to serve well in the United States of America it is legal to bribe politicians and so big money interests similar to here went out most of the time no matter what the people want because poll after poll shows that Americans want universal health care they want a 15 dollar hour minimum wage you guys in the labor the labor party was able to push you know push that here um, you know, they they want to make sure that people have decent homes, they want clean air, they, they believe in the Green Deal, New Deal. So the question becomes, if the majority of the American people, no matter how they politically identify, want these things, why aren't the politicians in Washington providing these things? It is because they are owned, wholesale, not all of them, but far too many of them by the big moneyed interests in the United States of America. And this is a global, right? This is a global fight.
0: You ran in a special election. Uh, in Ohio, Congressional Special Election. You came really close to winning single figure percentage points. Yes. Are you going to run again?
1: We will see. I'm keeping all options on the table. This is a redistricting time within the United States of America. We have a census every 10 years. And then after the census, In every state, the lines are redrawn. And so uh, I am going to consider I am considering all things are on the table. So many people want to see me run for office again. We will see. I think no matter what I decide to do, I'm always going to continue to be in the liberation struggle in some form or fashion, which which is why I am here. And so grateful for CWU and uh, the Tribune magazine for inviting me to be here to show international solidarity for the struggle of working people.
0: 2028, who's going to be the Democratic candidate for the White House?
1: Oh, good Lord. Well, we jump into 2028, we got to deal with 2024. Oh, I know. I bet, best case scenario, yeah.
0: we think Trump's the candidate for the Republican Party, but he loses. Best, best case, case scenario. Best case scenario. Yeah. I'm
1: with you on that. You know, I'm not sure. I don't know what is going to happen. I mean, that's, that's a short time away, but it's also a long time. So I'm not so sure who's going to emerge. But I hope that more progressives will run for the presidency of the United States of America.
0: Thank you very much, Nina Turner. It's been a real pleasure to interview you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I really enjoyed speaking to Nina Turner. She's become something of a political heroine in recent years, and I really think she's here to stay. If you enjoyed that interview, you can listen to more like it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you find your podcast. And of course, it's also available as a video on our YouTube channel. If you want to leave feedback, we always appreciate it, particularly a review. And if you want to hear and see more content like this, why not go to Novarami.com forward slash support and help us build that new media for a different politics.